0: Welcome to this edition of Trends Talk. I'm Brian Bolio, CEO and Chief Economist for ITR Economics. Um, This is a follow-up to our webinar uh, that we had on July 22. We did not get to all the questions. So I'm going to be answering those now. And um, I just want to thank everybody who attended um, for... Um, what turned out to be, I think, a very useful um, and positive event. We try to lay things out as we see them as objectively as we can. And the feedback we've gotten is quite positive. So again, thank you very much for uh, putting your confidence in us and giving us your time. So let's go to the questions. First one is, when do you expect the US government's uh, interest rates to rise? Excuse me. I think as long as um, Chairman Powell and and his uh, team are concerned about the economy, uh, they're not likely to be pushing up their uh, federal funds rate, for instance, or moving the discount rate. Um, the, those are the interest rates that they effectively can influence slash control. So if that's what you mean, I don't expect we'll see anything in that regard until probably the second half of 2021 we're certainly not seeing any upside pressure on uh, the government's 10 year bond yield which is what the marketplace uh, dictates in fact so far in july that's actually down nine basis points so and again um, with zero inflation with there's still being concerns uh, because of the pandemic Um, with all the economies um, uneven in their recovery, by all I mean most of the world, Um, and this healthy skepticism about uh, the Chinese numbers. Um, nothing We don't see anything really happening in terms of even marketplace pressure on these rates until we really are rounding the bend on this calendar year. And keep in mind that the Federal Reserve changes rates after the marketplace does. So we'll be able to get a better handle on when the feds are likely to start pushing interest rates up because the marketplace will have done so before they do. So um, we'll keep you on tap uh, for what's going on there. As we mentioned in the webinar, um, we follow the bond market uh, every single day. So we're we're staying very sensitive to what's going on in uh, that venue, but for, for now, that's what our timeline looks like. Where do you see interest rates going in the next 24 months? Mm. That pushes that answer out uh, a little bit further. Not comfortable just yet with a um, uh, hard 24 month forecast. Uh, um, you didn't, question doesn't specify which particular interest rate, the answer, broadly speaking, is up. And as I mentioned, um, beginning about 12 months from now, really in terms of the Federal Reserve action, and maybe as early as six to nine months from now in terms of what the uh, marketplace is doing. But even at that, because of our inflation outlook uh, being as soft as it is for the next 12 to 24 months, we do not see much in the way of upside pressure on these interest rates. Um, I'm I'm going to ask you to stay tuned in terms of how big of the rise we expect to see. This is a work in progress. But when I last did the analysis, um, we were looking at only 90 to 130 basis point rise, uh, 24 months out. Now, that's subject to change, so I'm asking for some indulgence there. But it's meant to give you the relative magnitude of what we're talking about Even with all this fiat currency that's been created, we do not anticipate a dramatic surge in uh, these interest rates um, in the near term. Next question is, what is the projected build for US autos in 20 and 21? Uh, You'll find that information uh, in the ITR uh, trends report. Um, I don't have that on my head. Um, we tend to look at it more as a North American function rather than just U.S. Um, but in uh, in the trends report, um, there's always a way to ask a question on each page. And the analyst who is really involved in that will be in a much better position to answer that particular question. Uh, I am sorry that I don't have um, the details for you here. Um, as you saw with the... Um, The default rate on loans being what it is. Um, We're not expecting much in the way of a rebound in the automobile sector through uh, the rest of this year and even in 2021. Uh, We we are expecting that is going to remain one of the weaker aspects of uh, the economy, not only for um, uh, liquidity financial reasons, but also people aren't, driving like they used to so we're not wearing out our cars um, and it's become so much more facile to buy a, a used car with um, Carvana in Vroom uh, that I think there are some very real market pressures that are going to uh, not augur particularly well for um, Cars or light-duty trucks uh, in the next 12 to 18 months. Next question is: We are seeing the USD lose so much ground. Why are we seeing the U.S. dollar lose so much ground uh, to the euro? Isn't our economy doing better than those in the eurozone? Um, some in some areas we are doing better um, than. Um, the economies in the Eurozone. I think what you're seeing vis-a-vis the Euro-US dollar exchange rate is probably more a function of the fact that our deficit is ballooning. As we talked about during the webinar, the stimulus that the Europeans applied to their economy was in the form of offering loans. Um, They were not Um, massively blowing up their budgets. Uh, They were not rapidly adding to their debt. Uh, We saw some of that, but it was very tame compared to what we saw in the U.S. And as you saw through the COVID slides, um, there's a different trend going on in Europe in terms of um, where COVID is heading within the population. So I think what you're seeing vis-a-vis the exchange rate is people are feeling a little bit more comfortable with uh, the financial and health trends in Europe than they are in the U S it'll be a relatively, and by that, I mean, uh, I'm not trying to time it, but over the long run, you're still looking at the U S dollar is going to be deemed a safer haven, but we've got to figure out how we're going to deal with our deficit spending issue. Um, And, I don't want to get on anybody's political toes here, but there's also, um, you know, politically speaking, Mr. Trump has alienated um, himself vis-a-vis some aspects of the European investment community. Um, So we need that to settle down too. And, And it should, and it will, and that'll normalize the relationship between our currencies, I think. Uh, next question is: Is your prediction for the depression in 2030 still on target? If so, has the nature of forces that will precipitate this effect changed? Uh, it is still on target. That's a question that uh, we are reviewing internally on a regular basis. Uh, particularly with the size of the debt blowing up, we we did a deep dive on that and the potential of needing to raise taxes sooner than I think we had in our internal timeline uh, in order to uh, bring the budget back into alignment. All of that had us thinking very seriously about whether it's likely they're gonna come sooner. Um, but then the other side of that is, as long as the world has faith in the uh, uh, creditworthiness worthiness of the United States, we can uh, continue on this way ad infinitum. And that's why we did what we did during the webinar to show that at least so far, the world seems to still have faith that we are a relatively risk-free investment. It's also helpful that 36% of the debt is held intra-government within the United States government, so that also lessens our exposure. And something else that is uh, another statistic that I'm not sure came out during the uh, webinar is our, our debt, our total debt, national debt, only 39% of it is held by foreign investors. Some of those investors are obviously individuals, but a lot of them are other central banks. Uh, so it's not like there's a lot of risk associated with those percentages right now. If that, percentage grows in the future, then it becomes more worrisome from our perspective. But from right now, we think uh, those are manageable numbers, manageable expectations, and therefore we don't need to bring in the timeline uh, at this time anyways. Next is, do you agree with the belief the U.S. will benefit from onshoring of current China supplies? And the answer is an unmitigated yes. Uh, not only is it a belief with us, it is a yes, we think so also. Uh, there is some data to suggest that is going on, but I think the best proof for me has been uh, because we're talking to our clients all the time um, in our consulting function, we're hearing about it. So not only are we seeing some of the data that is out there, but we're also hearing about it. And you may be reading the the surveys that are going on out there also uh, that demonstrate that CEO corporate America thinking on that has shifted considerably between the tariffs and COVID-19. There's been a paradigm shift in that regard. I think the two economies that are going to benefit the most from it will be the United States and then Mexico will also. I think Canada will see uh, some of its manufacturing, which is very important to some of the provinces in Canada, uh, stay put, I'm not sure that they're going to gain a whole lot relative to the US and Mexico actually gaining but supply ch- chains are gonna be short up and they're gonna be shortened in this future, in this post COVID-19 future. Um, next question, how does the US percentage of debt to GDP compare to other countries such as Japan and Germany? Uh, that's interesting, we intentionally left that slide out because we wanted to stay US centric, but Uh, We look very, very virtuous compared to Japan. And ironically, they're still considered to be a safe haven. That was really what was behind my comment during the webinar about I'm not sure why people consider Japan to be such a safe haven. Compared to Germany, uh, we don't look good at all. Germany, along with Italy, along with France, the UK, They've made significant inroads in terms of lowering their debt exposure as a percent of GDP. Uh, We're actually, uh, last time I looked, we're right in the same category as Greece. If you're looking for a European economy that we compare to is, we're Greece. Uh, Except we have the added advantage of being the world's reserve currency and the world's largest economy, but uh, it's still we're not in a good position in that score. One of the things we're gonna do in this regard, vis-a-vis uh, the global scene is the data on China is very difficult to uh, come by in terms of debt data. The, it's very opaque, they're not transparent about it, but you saw on the charts that they're paying a higher rate of interest than we are in the United States, which tells you that the the world knows that there's a bigger debt problem there than there is in the United States. So we're gonna be doing a lot of research to try and quantify where China fits in this uh, pantheon of indebtedness. Um, their indebtedness worries me a great deal in terms of a potential um, linchpin or fault point vis a be the 2030s downturn. So we'll be getting uh, back to you more on, in that regard. Question is, uh, will you speak to business to business in the industrial production forecast? Uh, business to business, um, when uh, we refer to that, we're thinking about our non-defense capital goods, new orders, and that's going to be um, very much segmented by industry. For instance, the energy industry is, has planned a, a significant cutback on CapEx Uh, for 2021 um, to conserve cash and because uh, the oil prices aren't that great. Uh, I'll give you a sidebar on the oil prices in just a moment. But it is going to recover over the course of 2021. Um, And it's going to get higher still in 2022 and even higher still in 2023. But part of that industry segmentation is um, because we think automotive is going to be relatively weak, We don't expect that to be one of the natural go-to places. It's usually a very strong source of uh, capex. And we think the near shoring is going to um, create some surprising new areas where we'll see that capex grow. Um, So it's going to be different than it has been in the past, but it is going to be a nice recovery. In terms of our US industrial production forecast, uh, we invited you to get hold of our ITR trends report free for the next 90 days. And there you'll see the forecast spelled out uh, in very clear detail. Uh, So I'm not gonna get into all the numbers uh, in this trends talk, but we expect 2Q20 was the low point for U.S. industrial activity. And that that quarterly data begins to edge up in the second half of this year, along with GDP and it will gain momentum as we go through 2021. But with industrial activity, because of things like weakness in the automotive sector, and because of the ripple effect of the energy sector and what that does for industrial activity, we don't have industrial production fully recovering from the COVID recession until, uh, it is 2023, Uh, before we have U.S. industrial production totally recovered from um, this two-quarter decline. That's how bad the decline has been and how um, unbalanced uh, certain aspects of this recovery will be. Next question. If we start seeing inflation interest rate pressure plus or minus 12 months from now, Uh, After global recovery, won't that put recessionary pressure on the economy back on the table around that 22-23 timeframe? Your point is well taken. We could. It really depends on the Federal Reserve's um, response to that inflationary pressure. Remember, we're talking right now that it's running at about one-tenth of one percent. The federal reserve isn't going to really care about any consumer price index inflation until it is consistently running north of two to two and a half percent. Um, and then I think we're likely to see that they're going to be very cautious with interest rates unless we see a change in, uh, the composition of the federal reserve board. We have a new board member at least approved by the house. I mean, uh, the Senate committee, um, and that new board member has espoused in the past a belief in the return to the gold standard which would change the landscape very rapidly um, and that would in my view uh, as your economist is your uh, increase the odds to something going awry in 22 23. so the game is clearly afoot but i'm more concerned about the risk the stock market Uh, poses to the economy come 22, 23, than I am what the Federal Reserve may be doing vis-a-vis the economy come 22, 23. I think that's probably a a higher risk area. Um, Next question, what are the signs that the U.S. government is viewed as no longer safe in terms of bond yields? That's why we went through the uh, comparison of our 90-day, T bill, uh, looking at it compared to other economies, some very safe like Germany and Canada, and some not so safe like Brazil um, and others. And the uh, same thing with the long term rates. What we're what we're trying to develop and what we are developing is a metric for. Right. Not only do we see that the U S. is now Unusually elevated vis-a-vis, uh, say, Canada, and we're running more like um, Brazil or more like China. But is that abnormal? Is that outside the parameters of what we've seen before? Without the wheels coming off the cart, so that's the uh, economic model that we are building. You saw the beginnings of it, uh, but that'll be our sign. Uh, that uh, we've got a major issue developing when we start going into abnormal deviations from a relationship with uh, what are the ostensibly safe economies. And we'll be constantly updating this going forward. We think it's going to be a, an important canary in the mind regarding the uh, 2030 event. What if uh, Trump loses the election or the Democrats control the Congress? Won't everything change Uh, is the next question. I don't think it, we really don't think everything will change um, because this administration has spent as much money as rapidly as, um, even more so because of the circumstances than, President Obama did, and and President Bush certainly uh, was into spending money a great deal. Um, And as we mentioned during the uh, webinar, it's hard to gauge what's going to happen as you go through a primary season, because once people take office, they sometimes uh, find themselves in the minority when it comes to these extreme positions. We don't think anything's gonna change much for 2021 unless it's an emotional event like the stock market. Because by the time new politicians come into office, uh, legislation actually gets passed and then begins to impact the economy. Our studies show that you're looking at typically anywhere from 12 to 24 months down the road. So a new government takes over in January, 2021 12 months down the road gives us January 22 before we're really beginning to see demonstrable structural changes in the economy, even if it's fairly radical. But remember, we've seen this pendulum swing back and forth before from Ronald Reagan um, into through a uh, short Bush administration and then into the Bill Clinton era um, and the rhetoric clearly changed. But a lot of the nuts and bolts um, did not change. We're going to see that where we spend the money may change, but spending the money isn't going to change. And that may seem like a subtle point, but it really isn't. Where we spend it is a social decision. The fact that we're spending it remains the economic reality. And I don't think we're gonna see much of a change in that regard, but we will stay on top of this because uh, it is obviously top of mind and deservedly so. How will the 2020 presidential election outcome affect the economy? I just tried to answer that with the preceding uh, question, but if you feel that uh, I'm not grasping that uh, point well enough, I uh, just send me an email and I'll be happy to answer you personally with that. Uh, you can reach me at brian at com or speak to an economist on staff that you're currently dealing with. Um, and, and that and they'll be able to walk you through this too. We're, we're all on the, uh, the same mind. It's, it's not the who it's so much, um, how much more or how much less money are they thinking of spending and how much more money or less money are they thinking of raising in the form of taxes? And it's really the, the, the significant change in taxation um, on personal income um, that has Alan and I in particular uh, very carefully monitoring the situation, trying to grasp what is likely going to happen. Um, As you saw, corporations pay only 7% of the entire tax burden. So while a change there may sound like a drastic change in number, it's it's a relatively small piece of the pie. And then corporations have a way of adapting uh, to these changes pretty quickly. So we are more concerned about the individual tax rate Uh, getting hiked up more than anything. Uh, The the death tax, all of that um, is important, philosophical societal conversation, but it doesn't really move the needle in terms of government revenue. Uh, So if that's where the big change is, and it really isn't gonna change the economic picture. I've probably given you more than you ever wanted in that regard, so uh, forgive me for that, please. Next question, is now the time to invest in retirement home in Florida or AZ? Uh, Yes, um, I sincerely believe it is. I like Florida better than AZ, uh, and I'll give you two reasons for that. One, uh, Florida's got a much more balanced economy. Um, Don't get me wrong, I'm really fond of Arizona. I enjoy going to Arizona, but there's being near water, if you recall, it's one of my basic tenets. Uh, you want homes, property that's in inside of water, um, that has some altitude, um, and is more of an urbanized area. And you're going to find that a whole lot more plentiful in Florida than you are in Arizona. Some of the financial trends are better in Florida than they are in Arizona. And then finally, I'm going to give you some wisdom that my wife gave me when we were trying to decide, uh, are we going to live in Florida or Arizona, honey? She says, well, we can go to Arizona where it's very dry and that's going to dry out my skin, hun. or we can go to Florida where there's more humidity and I'll look younger, longer. I said, you're right. Florida makes all the economic sense in the world. So there's a lot of factors, obviously, that go into uh, deciding whether it's gonna be Florida or Arizona, Uh, but make your move in that regard. Uh, This is a good time to be doing it. Um, And don't be thinking you have to pay cash with interest rates so incredibly low. The government's really making it easy for you to leverage up and invest your money elsewhere and take the delta uh, as uh, found money, really. Next question. The short-term versus long-term yield chart was very interesting and would seem to suggest a near-term recessionary risk. Um, Would that be a reasonable inference? I'm not sure why it seemed to suggest that and that the uh, the short-term versus long-term yield chart. So we had the yield curve chart and that trend line had established the low and is back to moving up and we are currently in, uh, or had just completed really two consecutive quarters of decline in GDP. I think that is the recession that the yield curve was pointing to. Um, Even though it was a, a, um, a natural disaster, it's like golf, you know, no one ever records exactly how the ball went in the cup. Um, The way it's going to look in the history books is the yield curve went below zero. That's the sign that there was going to be a recession. We always had one quarter decline built into our GDP forecast anyways. And uh, now we'll have had two and it's going to say, yep, that decline led that recession. Uh, But now that yield curve is going up. If it turns out that the rising trend is a dead cat bounce, then... Uh, the inference would be we have some more uh, economic downturn ahead of us. And that's why we watch that yield curve uh, constantly. So I don't think it is telling us that there's a near-term recession or risk. I think it's telling us that there's near-term economic recovery, not especially robust recovery, but at least the upside. The question is, do you believe there will be long-term, i.e. permanent, Negative impact to airlines, travel, office space, and how significantly will that affect GDP? Um, you know, permanent is uh, is one of those absolutes that I personally uh, try not to get involved with. Um, but to the extent that uh, we can talk about years, um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm. I think we mentioned during the uh, the webinar. At least I meant to that in terms of office space, uh, the peak that we're just going through, that could be the high, just like we saw the multi-family housing unit high uh, back in the 70s, and we haven't even come close to it again since. I mean, that's how real the change can be regarding office space. We are in this distributed or disseminated workforce mode that was a trend beforehand and is gathering airlines us business folks are going to go back to uh, traveling and i imagine eventually people will too so i wouldn't say that that is permanent but uh, it takes years to rebuild the damage that's been done uh, to that industry and the same thing with the cruise line industry we don't see that snapping back because once people become afraid and they find an alternative way to deal with this they're not gonna readily go back to uh, putting themselves at risk. I feel the same way, by the way, about remember I showed the this, this slide uh, about stadium events, professional sports, collegiate sports. Um, I'm really concerned about how long it's gonna take for that to revert to trend. I don't have a forecast for it. I just know that I wouldn't wanna be an investor assuming that that's gonna bounce back within the next one to two years. Next we have, if younger people are now being infected, the survival rate should improve. If hospitalizations are real, are still really high, is that not putting pressure on the system and having an impact on the economy? Uh, it is absolutely true that uh, survival rates should improve. And I think uh, we showed you that uh, vis-a-vis the fatality rate for Florida and for California and for Texas. Um, It breaks our hearts. Uh, We're seeing really young people uh, uh, being impacted, uh, testing positive for this. Uh, But I don't know that they are being hospitalized. Um, If hospitalizations are still really high, is that now putting pressure on the system? Yes, it is putting pressure on the system. And that's why, like in Arizona, they're shipping people out of state uh, because their system can't take it. That's it's why in some areas we're seeing elective surgeries once again being put on hold because their hospital system can't handle the stress, which, by the way, is economically devastating for that hospital or that hospital system and has very real negative economic consequences. Uh, So it is having an impact on that uh, part of the economy, uh, to be sure. What Alan and I and the rest of the team keep coming back to though, is um, the vaccine is coming. And I know it can't get here soon enough. I know it's still six months away, but it becomes a game changer and it will take time for it to become ubiquitous. There'll always be people who don't wanna get the vaccine. There are people who don't wanna get a polio vaccine today. I mean, that's their choice, I suppose. But we no longer worry about polio because the vaccine is there. We don't worry about the measles because the vaccine is there until you have a localized outbreak. That's going to happen uh, with uh, COVID also, just like we, uh, we get influenza shots now. Um, and we've learned to deal with that and life has become normalized. It's just going to take years, several years before we are there. Um, So, yes, it'll have an impact on the economy, but not a permanent one and not an especially long-term one. And our last question is when B2C increases in 2022, should B2B get a similar boost? And the answer there is absolutely yes. B2C doesn't operate without B2B uh, rising also. I mean, that's that's a tide that makes all boats float higher just starts in the B2C space, because that's where you're going to see the demand that causes a lot of that B2B. But yes, B2B is going to be getting a similar boost right along with the uh, B2C. Those companies that have learned to adapt new technologies, those companies that have learned to pivot to meet today's needs and the needs of 2021, they're the ones clearly that are going to be doing the best. Those that have learned how to um, stay focused on their core values and their mission, while others have frittered away opportunities um, that have let themselves become undercapitalized, are being laid exposed now to the vagaries of the economy. Clearly, and I'm not, I'm not particularly fond of this phrase, but people understand what I'm talking about when I use this phrase. This is a period of Darwinian economics, folks. And those that should survive because they are the strong will survive. And they will absorb the lesser ones um, and a stronger, more vibrant economy uh, ultimately uh, develops. This is Joseph Schumpeter's creative destruction in a nutshell, in a very short span of time, because of what COVID 19 and the government's reaction to COVID 19 has uh, done to us and for us. Uh, you know, I, I, there isn't a, uh, an hour that goes by that um, we aren't thinking about all of these things, and we can appreciate that they're on your mind also. And sometimes, particularly since I'm COVID-19 positive and and sometimes it is hard, uh, you can't help but feel defeated maybe, uh, scared. Um, But folks, I've studied enough history, uh, economic history and human nature, and I've studied enough natural disasters and economic disasters that I really feel confident in our outlook and um, I'm trying to convey that objectively as I can to you uh, I'm not Pollyannish by nature I tend to be a cynic by nature that's what makes me a good economist perhaps um, we are all going to get through this and the economy is going to take time to heal but we are going to be stronger and we are going to be better as long as we can hold on to capitalism and our capitalist fruits. I think maybe that's one of the biggest unintended consequences that we did not talk about yesterday during our webinar. I am personally scared to death that one of the unintended consequences of all this stimulus is people will have learned, well, the government will always ride to our rescue. They'll just be a get a blank check they'll make it all better so we don't really need to figure a lot of this stuff out for ourselves we don't need to prepare on our own and if you're listening to this trends talk that is not you i understand that but the rest of the world what's the lesson that they are learning from all this That's the unintended consequence that makes a lot of us economists at ITR economics uh, worry. And I think that's a huge cornerstone to our thinking about why ultimately the 2030s is going to happen because people are learning to um, become more dependent on government and less dependent upon themselves. Uh, I don't want to end on that sour note. So uh, let me just double back to saying for you and me and our businesses, um, we're coming out of this and we're going to be bigger, stronger, more profitable than we ever have been. That which does not kill us makes us stronger, right? And that's where we're going. This has been an exceptionally long trends talk, and I sincerely apologize to you for that. But what we're going through is epic, and you had a lot of questions, and they were great questions. I thank you very much for listening. I'm Brian Bolio, CEO, Chief Economist of ITR Economics, and I wish you well, and may God bless America. Thank you.